0: Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, we did an episode on Ted Bundy 10 years ago with Lita, and I thought we would do an updated version because, you know, pres- presumably we're smarter now. I can't believe it's been 10 years.
1: Like, that still feels like, yeah, a couple of years ago we did Ted Bundy.
0: Yeah. What do you <laughs> say? Let's talk about the psychology of Ted Bundy. Yeah. Excited. This is, this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda, I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I'm a professional man-at-arms. So um, the thing that I want to say up front is that we decided to do this because people have been asking us to do this, because there's a new Ted Bundy documentary right. on Netflix, in which they take these interviews with him, these and are- recordings, and they play a lot of that while they're telling the story of ted bundy's life right and they also show a ton of footage right from news reports from trials from stock footage of the time and the place yeah like like
1: like i kept thinking while i watched it i kept thinking man i've forgotten so much stuff but then i remembered well a lot of what i knew was from reading books right and from a couple of, uh, what he called uh, uh, when you redo the biopics or whatever they're called, you know,
0: where they were n- not documentaries, they were reenactments. Right. Yeah. So the footage, they have so much of it that we've never seen before, or at least it was yeah. hard to get access to. Like actual footage of the building in which Ted Bundy jumped out of when, right. he, when he escaped. Like I remember hearing that described to me. But when you see it, you get a much clearer picture of yeah. what actually happened and really just how ridiculous the whole thing was that right. he was able to escape, you know? They were so na- like naive,
1: so innocent.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the other thing here is that there's a ton of footage. Like The first half or so, it really focuses on Seattle and Issaquah. Yeah. And I grew up in Issaquah. Right. And you, you actually used to have a house not far from Lake Sammamish, right, Eastgate, which is where the his first killings uh, happened. Super creepy, and or at least two of his early victims, anyway. And the one with the when he had the arm, the cast, right, the fake cast, right. So that was really interesting to me because one, I I asked my mom about this. We had moved to Issaquah. I was two years old. Oh, you were two when when I moved to Issaquah, yeah, from Kent. And (coughs) we now it's called Sammamish, but back then it was called Issaquah because it was King County close enough to Issaquah. Anyway, the point is is that I asked my mom, might we have been at Lake Sammamish the day those two women were killed by Ted Bundy? And my mom was like, it's possible. Because we pretty much only went to two parks growing up. We went to Pine Lake Park, which is on the plateau, and then Lake Sammamish Park. Wow. So it's, And it was a sunny day, total, total, crowded. Right. It, 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 we went there often. So it's entirely possible that my mom, who could have been a victim, I guess, right. is, is one way to look at it, because it's not like Ted Bundy would have targeted me, you know yeah. what I mean, as a three-year-old. But right. it's possible that my family, my mom and us kids, because uh, my dad might have been at work or something, might have been there the day that Ted Bundy killed those people, and then – the locations at UW. So when I went to the University of Washington, mm-hmm. I lived in that neighborhood. The same
1: neighborhood he, yeah.
0: where he lived and he also killed people. Jeez. And it was just like a block away. So and I, creepy. And I remember hearing about that. Like I remember hey. walking to school and people saying, like, you know, Ted Bundy. Actually, when I was in college, Ted Bundy wasn't a household name, it was at least to our generation. Uh huh. I remember hearing in college, they would be like, did you know there was a serial killer that used to kill people? And one of their victims was found like right over there. Mm. And and then it wasn't until years later that it was like, oh, Ted Bundy, you know, like I feel like the internet really helps us to know these things in a way that I didn't really know when I was younger. For some reason, first of all, Ted Bundy was well known in Colombia. for some reason. Really?
1: Yeah, so much so that when I when I started watching uh, Married with Children, oh, I got I got really confused at first because I was I heard it was like the character was Al Bundy, and I'm like, wait a minute, like they're making a show about the serial killer,
0: like <laughs> you know, I was super confused. And right, so that tells you. That Ted Bundy wasn't a household name because they wouldn't have they na- wouldn't have named him Al Bundy right they would have named him something else right because because that would be too confusing the wrong yeah the wrong connection and then
1: also in high school I was really into it and I read a couple of the like the
0: one from the woman and like I read two books about him right in the seven in the eighties and nineties Ted Bundy was something that only like super fans knew about yeah. people who read biographies and this right. kind of thing. And I just want to point that out for future generations to know that according to me, anyway, culturally speaking, our fascination with serial killers has increased over, sure. the, over the years, sure. which I don't know what that means. Well, what do you think that means? Well, I mean, there, there's, it, it's an archetype of this sort
1: of thing that we are not accustomed to in daily life, which is, the totally animalistic uh, killer, who, uh, and you know, in the way it's portrayed, as we've talked about before, it's it's sort of like super intelligent, very devious, very careful planning—the ultimate anti-hero. And then, if you add into into the Ted Bundy mythos, like oh, and he's charming and good-looking and all these things, I think it, it becomes really uh, an intriguing proposition for many people. Okay, like Grand Theft Auto. Why is Grand Theft Auto? Why is The Sopranos? Why is, you know, a lot of these shows are Breaking Bad, right? Like, all these bad people are the heroes. And this is, like, the ultimate bad person. Probably why Dracula is fascinating. I mean, Dracula is, if nothing else, a serial killer, right? It's, it's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, I've, I've never really identified with that. Like, I remember there was a shift yeah. in, I don't know, the last 10 or 20 years when I started realizing that fans like me were more fascinated with the villains than they were with the heroes. Yeah. I've always been in, like I'm a Luke Skywalker. When I was a kid, I was a Luke Skywalker. Right, guy. right, right. <laughs> As I grew up, I became more of a Han Solo guy. Sure, but, but I, even Han Solo is not a bad guy. Right, but I would never be like a Darth Vader guy. Right. Like some people are Darth Vader people, like the Rilo people. Yeah, Raylo. Raylo, whatever. <laughs> Get so, out of here. So, yeah, I asked my mom if she, what she remembered, and she said that it was terrifying. Because imagine, imagine Ted Bundy's on the loose. In that community. In your town, and at, at oh. the park that you go to all the time. Right. And you're a young woman. Like and my, you have friends that are young women. Yeah. And you don't have cell phones. You don't have oh. self-defense. You don't have security cameras. It's just like he could be anywhere. Yikes! It, and get this: so Ted Bundy at Lake Sammamish Park, and that's all in the documentary. The way he would abduct people, he actually introduced himself as Ted, which is mm-hmm. just like what. But and he would lure women back to his tan vida bug, right? So I this need help. I have my arms hurt. Can you right? And so the description went out right after that because mm-hmm. people saw this guy right blah, blah blah and so this you know in, in all the newspapers the man looks like this and they had a composite sketch and then they had this picture of a VW bug a tan VW bug well our neighbors who lived right next door oh my gosh had a tan VW bug
1: oh my gosh <laughs> which must have been a common car back then
0: common I mean, but not VW bugs anyway not super common but okay. yeah bugs back then were sure. pretty common but you know and our Family had just moved into that town and, oh. and so they didn't really know the neighbors that well. Oh, creepy. Please tell me his name wasn't Ted. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Theodore. His, first name. Uh, his last name was Baker. But okay. so. Starts with a B. Yeah. So my <laughs> mom was really concerned that the neighbor was Ted Bundy. Oh, no. She really was? Yeah, she was. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I could totally understand it. I mean, how would you sure. know? No, you if, wouldn't. If he wasn't. Right. Like, you just, there'd be no way to know. Right. And the composite picture... It
1: looked like a man. <laughs> yeah, it looks like,
0: okay, a white guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it was uh, very terrifying at the wow. time. And when I watched this documentary on Netflix, for the first time, I felt like personally connected to the story because it was, mm-hmm. it's almost like... Maybe the most famous thing of it that ever happened in Issaquah, Washington. Sure. I mean, can you think of anything else that's (laughs) more famous than... That one party we had there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So before going forward, I just want to say as a caveat to all you mainly YouTube people, this is not an episode in which we are doing a document of the facts. This is two random guys. One person is a lay person who is... What do you do again? You know. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm a professional man at arms. That's right. And I am a therapist. I am not a Ted Bundy scholar. I did a little bit of research on this, and so I'm going to get some minor details wrong. The purpose of this episode is to uh, try to educate people about psychopathy, about sadism. It's not about to educate you about the details of Ted Bundy's life. Totally. (laughs) Uh, So if you're a stickler for details, go away. I just want you to get off my lawn, get out of my YouTube channel <laughs> and leave us alone because I don't like people like you who comment on, you'll listen to three hours of free content on the internet and you'll, and the only thing you say is, you he didn't like Chianti, <laughs> you idiot. it's, it's fava beans, not llama beans. I see what I did there. <laughs> I so, do. <laughs> so, just let it go, people. Just let it go. All right. It's not fava so, can anyone eat fava beans anymore?
1: No, they're not good for you. Really? Why they? Um, so they have. I forget what the what, what? the nutrient is in them, but uh, they actually can. The more fava beans you eat, it can ruin your digestive system,
0: and then you become a serial killer. Yeah,
1: but if you drink Chianti, it it cancels it out.
0: So, so Ted Bundy was seemingly a mild mannered guy. Growing up, he was awkward and didn't. He was kind of a loner, didn't really get along with people. Didn't he... Wasn't he in Tacoma when he was a kid? Uh, I don't know.
1: I thought he, he grew up in Tacoma.
0: Yes. So, well, he was born somewhere else. Yeah. And then... But I feel like they moved, had a house in Tacoma. Yeah, I believe that's where he grew up. Ugh. So that's another... You right, know. and I lived in Tacoma.
1: Right. Maybe I'm Umberto Bundy.
0: <laughs> That'd be a weird twist. <laughs> Um, (laughs) and then you kill me and you're like,
1: yes, yes, it worked. It all came together. That was my goal. I
0: love it when a plan comes together. (laughs) So, um, so Ted Bundy was kind of a loner, but there wasn't anything aggressive or hostile about him seemingly, at least to many reports. And he goes to University of Washington. He's a psychology student. He eventually goes to PLU, which is down in Tacoma. He goes Mm -hmm. to you know, studies law. Um, He's the kind of young man that girls would want to bring home to their parents.
1: Yeah, the next door neighbor.
0: Right. Because at the time, we're talking 1970, and if you look at pictures of him and compare it to other men his age of the time, he was pretty clean cut. Pretty clean cut. Right. So think of like, you know, the boy next door. Yeah. A uh, good old American kid. And when he's not making the crazy eyes, he looks normal. <laughs> yeah. uh, so from the span of 1974 to 1978, he killed 30 plus young women, yeah. uh, which is a lot of people to kill for a serial killer. Yep. Because usually serial killers, it's like 12, 15 or something. Like how many people did the Green River killer Kill. Well, a
1: lot, but, but I mean, over more, way more years, you know what I mean? Like right. the, the other thing about Ted Bundy is <laughs> these weren't, like, I climbed on a tower and I shot people, which, of course, is horrific enough. These were, like, you know, stalked them, raped them, mutilated them, did a whole bunch of stuff, then took their bodies and buried, like, ala- elaborate killings. Right. Like, that's a lot of... Oh,
0: that's another much. detail from the documentary that I got was... Where he buried a lot of the bodies, mm-hmm. which is just right across town, yeah, from my house, isn't it?
1: Wasn't it like Snake Mountain or something? Uh, or, uh, Taylor Mountain, I believe. Taylor Mountain. Yeah. So
0: it's it's um it's Yeeks. just it's it's uh what would it be south of of I ninety, um south of downtown.
1: Can you imagine someone is jogging, and just they discover all your bodies? Yeah, that's crazy.
0: So he started killing around the age of twenty eight and he killed in the Northwest California and Florida. He would often rape them before and after death. He escaped from prison twice. He defended himself in court. He, one of the interesting things about the documentary is you learn just how, I don't know, how difficult it is to convict someone of something that you know that they did. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh,
1: we, I think we're all finding that out lately too. <laughs> yeah, uh, But, Go ahead. I was just going to say, just a comment on the, because you said he, he raped them before and after. I think, you know, this is why I could never be a serial killer is because I... <laughs> I, got, I can't wait to say where th- where this goes. <laughs> you know, I, I'm such a hypochondriac. I don't like germs, Oh, you know? my God. I mean,
0: like that... That was worse than I thought you were going to say. That would be terrible. Oh, my God. I just
1: don't know how they can sit there and be
0: like, okay with the rotting flesh. That's, That's the bad. one thing about being a serial killer... A sexual sadist, necrophiliac—that bothers you. Well, I mean, I'm saying that's the deal breaker. So if you had like, like alcohol rub, you know, disinfectant, that would be okay. Well, I don't know. We'd have to, it's a case by case basis. Oh my god! I'm not saying
1: you know it's an all or nothing.
0: Uh, tweet Berto at Psycho Berto. <laughs> psycho Whoops. Maybe I need to change my uh, my handle. <laughs> <laughs> So he defended, he defends himself stupidly. He's convicted. He gets a death sentence. He loved to talk to the press a lot during the uh, hearings. And afterwards he was eventually executed many years later in 1989, which is the year that is so fine because I graduated from high school that year. Uh, Lots of books, (laughs) lots of commentary on his life, lots of fascination, particularly in recent years, according to my estimation, Lots of speculation, which we will add to today. And um, yeah, so I recommend... Do you recommend the Netflix documentary? Oh, I would.
1: I I thought it was very well done, very informative. And so if you're at all fascinated about these topics, yes, absolutely.
0: And it's also, even if you're not super fascinated with Ted Bundy, it's also just interesting to learn about the law system. Oh, totally. And the court system. Yeah. And just how far we've come. Yeah. You know, they show these this that's the other thing they show footage of like inside police stations and yeah. stuff. And you know, all they there's just like a guy at a desk yeah. with a Rolodex and like a couple files and maybe a phone, right? And they're just like, "Well, he's out of my jurisdiction, so yeah. what am I going to do?" And like this crazy notion of all you have to do is move to a different state. And they have no idea about anything. Which is what he did. You're a ghost. Right. He would go to another state (laughs) and do the exact same thing. Right. And they're like, I
1: wonder. No, actually, they're not even, I wonder. But if they had wondered and someone would have been like, I wonder if this happened elsewhere. There would have been like no easy way to find out. They would have had to pick up the phone and call every freaking place they could
0: think of. And they'd have to talk to the actual detective who happened to remember, yeah. yeah, it would have been impossible. And I think there was even a scene like that in the documentary where one of the detectives in Seattle or something, you know, saw a news clipping or someone right. sent said, you know, does this sound like... Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, there was,
1: because that's the other thing. We think, you know, oh, well, but didn't you watch it on the news? Well, where? Like the news in Seattle? Because... I mean, that news doesn't get replayed everywhere. You don't get to see it on your webpage
0: in the morning. Like, where did you see the news? Right. The interesting thing that I don't know if it's even a thing is that I wonder if serial killing is in in our society on the decline based on the uh, issue that if you really want to go out with a bang, people do these mass killings like in a spree. Mm. And... With all the cameras and everything, and the ability uh, for law enforcement to track your cell phone down, sure. your credit cards, you know, every ATM, every restaurant, many businesses on the outside, my house, yeah. there's cameras, HD cameras pointed recording all the time. Yep, yep. And I just wonder if, because I was just thinking while I was watching the documentary about Ted Bundy, is... One person with a cell phone could have completely ended. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, there were in his case, especially there were so many because he wasn't being careful. After a while, right? Do you know what I mean? Well, he wasn't careful in the beginning, as far right, as right, right. But I'm saying, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I'm saying like before he got like caught at at first, like he was, you know, it. it He would plan the murder a little bit. He'd he'd have like the tools in his trunk and stuff. But then after a while, he's just like running through the city and like, oh, I'm just going to run into that house
0: and do something. It's like, come on. (laughs) And DNA, obviously. Totally. So, I mean, have you heard about any statistics about serial killing? Yeah, I mean... Is it it on the decline?
1: Yes. So, for those reasons, also the fact that um, uh, isolation... Pockets are are decreasing, right? So, in other words, you could live in a little small town like Issaquah and pretty much keep to yourself fairly easily, right? Back in the day. Back back in the day. And then there are still those pockets, but they're less and less. Yeah. You know, um, there's less mom-and-pop everythings, right? Less mom-and-pop farms, less mom-and-pop stores and things. Everything is more, like you said, uh, bigger and more videotaped and apartment buildings. It's like, you know, Dahmer got away with the thing in his apartment but at some point, the smell, everyone started smelling stuff, right? But they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. That's true. But I think, yeah, I think there's also a little bit of, um, you know, how much do people uh, get into other people's businesses? Right. And I feel like that's increased too because of this culture of like, I'm going to pull out my cell phone
0: and I'm going to post this somewhere. I don't know. I think that's a, Interesting idea, could be true, but at the same time, you have people like Harvey Weinstein in the era of cell phones and the internet uh, just easily abusing dozens of women, and it takes a critical mass and a lot of journalists to actually get together and – You know, circumvent uh, security and the ability to tweet. You know, I think that's our narrative. It's like, well, anyone can just complain at any time. I think most people are still able to do horrible things, and
1: and I guarantee you, there are still. Well, we all we know there are still uh, mass murders out there. That uh, first of all, in other countries, let alone right, But, but even in this country, if you happen to have a place that is fairly isolated, if if you happen to you know, live or or transit in an area that's not as technologically rich, uh, you could still get away with literally murder. Right. You know, pick off off the highway, take them to your... In fact, in the past few years, there's been a few of those, like, the dudes that had people in prison for many years in their house. You know, how many of those exist currently? It's kind of creepy.
0: Yeah. Very creepy. All right, so, Berto, why did... Uh, Ted Bundy do these things. What is it about his psychology that resulted in the this very aberrant behavior? I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but
1: it, 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 he did seem to have some patterns that were that you could see evidence for in all these new in the in the videos of him and in the interviews and all these things, and some of which he himself confessed to, if we were to believe his confessions, uh, things like he had an a, an incredible aggrandized sense of self, like to- totally narcissistic sense of himself. And he spoke of himself in those court proceedings, like a, he, he was the most important thing in that courtroom and in general. Um, he also was very impulsive, it seems like, very, very impulsive. Which saved him in a couple occasions because he was able to escape. How many people would actually go through with an idea to escape out of a jail, you know, and, and he just kind of did it. Um, so impulsivity, narcissism, and, uh, and then the other stuff is it seems like you really enjoyed when others suffered, you know, Right. Now he claims it was all because he got into pornography, but I, I don't buy his self-analysis on that. Um, I, I think so. You know, it, he seems like he, he was probably <clears throat> literally not empathetic. He
0: didn't really feel others' pains very much. Or, yeah, but or why? Their,
1: who knows? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, let's take a break and we get back. I will provide my four hypotheses or four factors that I think played a role. What do you say, bro? Let's do it. All right. We're back from the break. If Ted Bundy were here trying to convince people to become patrons of the podcast, what would he say? Oh, man. Okay. This is the hardest one you've given me.
1: All right. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. What you have heard here is a lot of reasons why this is the best podcast ever. And you're going to hear a lot of negativity and a lot of reasons that we've <clears throat> lured podcast listeners and murdered them violently. That, it couldn't be farther from the truth. I couldn't hurt a fly. So please give us all your money so we can build better, tra- I mean, we can do more episodes, have better better basement a lot of things we can do with this money uh
0: that's messed up but i asked you to do it so that's my fault all right <laughs> uh, so number one is biology it probably played a role and possible to know uh, even if we had his alive body today we would have no way of answering that question but we do have ways of possibly looking at that i.e lineage When you see people's biological line and you see particular behaviors, then you can take a guess and say, well, maybe biology plays a role in personality Mm -hmm. development and behavior, which, of course, makes sense. And there is some evidence of that, like his mom's father, his grandfather, was described as incredibly abusive, tyrannical, volatile Mm. He physically abused his wife and three daughters, um, and he was very racist and bigoted, and he was cruel to animals. Mm. So that's a key thing there. So it looks like Ted Bundy's biological grandfather uh, was uh, psychopathic and sadistic and or sadistic and uh, impossible to know, but, you know, it says something.
1: And so he abused his mom. Right. And... So, okay, th- that's interesting because it didn't really come out whether or not his mom
0: abused him. Right. So, he uh, would say <coughs> that everything was fine. Right. That's what I've always heard. Oh, my family was fine. Right. So, which gives me to, which brings me to the next uh, factor here, which is attachment issues, which is a big surprise to people out there since that's all I've been talking about lately. Surprise! But it's... The evidence is pretty clear to me: is that he had a lot of early attachment injuries. Now, to cut to the chase, everything I'm talking about here, lots of people have, and 99.99999% of these people do not kill anybody. Right. So that is. So we just need to look at that. It's like, right. but we can look at factors that led to his personality. Like these are ingredients, but well, we may not have all the ingredients. Well, the way I look at it is that all of us have a free will to make a choice about our behavior. And he had certain precursors that lead to a lot of people developing personality disorders. And so that seems pretty clear to me, yeah. that he, he had a personality disorder of narcissism and psychopathy and sadism he had those three personality disorders: sadistic personality, yep. psychopathic personality, and narcissistic personality. And uh, you could almost say it's it's a just he's just a sadistic sar- psychopath because a lot of them are narcissistic. But he seemed particularly narcissistic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's got the the four right tetrad right yeah the, the dark tetrad of what's <clears throat> Machia- the fourth one Machia- Machia- yeah, Machiavellianism yeah, right, right. yeah. so. Uh, meaning that he planned yes. well in advance and blah blah blah, and so he. Uh, we can look at the development of the dark tetrad because there is a lot of research linking the things we're about to talk about to that. Sure. But the but most people with the dark tetrad don't kill people, let alone kill thirty plus people. You yeah. know, but so the way I see it is like you take you take a million people with a lot of the dark tetrad traits, like. They have the personality of a Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. so you take ten thousand people who are like that, or a million people, or whatever, and like a handful of them are going to decide to do what what Ted Bundy did. Yeah, um, a lot of them are going to uh, be abusive in marriage. Right. A lot of them are going to have trouble with the law. A lot of them are going to again are going to end up in prison. A lot of them might be sexually abusive to people and sexually exploitative. But very few of them are going to become serial killers. But when you look at the spectra of different kinds of behaviors, it, it all kind of coheres to me. Yeah. So if we're looking at a question of why did Ted Bundy kill 30 plus people, that's a much harder question to answer than why did Ted Bundy develop the personality he did that produced the underpinnings for pe- for some f- small percentage of those people with that personality to decide to end up going on a serial killing lifestyle? That makes sense. <clears throat> There's also something – one part that uh, to me
1: is is way too obvious is not simply a casual decision that these people make to commit these crimes and – gruesome things is that he he became so self-destructive by it where you know like after the first time he literally got away with murder and and escaped right okay i guess the first time he was running out of food or whatever but but like the point is he had a a few chances to just walk away
0: and would have sadly gone away with it right right but he had to keep going right so that's the definition of a personality disorder as yeah. I always talk about because people are always just like, "Oh, these are evil geniuses and stuff." When you have a personality disorder, you have a disorder. Yeah. And it means that you you don't think straight about your life. Yeah. And you will do things, it'll escalate. So mm-hmm. So another way of looking anyway the the key example of this is when he finally escaped pretty much for good <laughs> for good and he ends up in Florida right and he could have started a new life and he did for the most yeah. part and he actually managed to not kill anyone for a while, but then he had this you know orgasmic evening of yeah. of his old life and he he didn't he he like broke into a sorority and killed yeah. like like a couple of women and it was different from his previous murders because in previous murders, at least there was some attempt yeah. to uh, keep it on the down low a little bit. Like this one was, right. he just bursted in there and, yeah. and just went room to room and, uh, and he lived like a couple blocks away or yeah, something, yeah. you know? Well, and it's something that, again, we
1: get this wrong impression in movies where, you know, someone like a Hannibal or the guy in Seven... Um, What's the bad guy's name in 7?
0: Oh, I didn't know no, he had a name. Yeah. Like the the Whatever. Bible
1: killer. Yeah, yeah. These people when you look at their like their character, uh, they're sort of like these monastic super disciplined oh, like supernaturally disciplined brainiacs, right? They sit their legs crossed. They could pro- you imagine they could sit there for 50 years undisturbed. If they had to, you know, like, and, and so Hannibal, it's like, you get the sense like he's not compelled to kill. He kills for these erudite reasons when he wants to, right? And so that's the sense you get. Whereas, yeah, no, these people can't help it. Like, I'm not saying they're excused or or anything like that. I'm just saying it is a disorder,
0: right? They can't even function, right? Yeah. Good. Well said. And Ted Bundy's one of the smartest ones of this, of this group I mean, I guess you could argue that the Zodiac killer was even smarter because he actually got away with it. Sure. You know? Um, anyway, so getting to attachment. So what can we... What do we know about his early life? Well, it's hard to know because he was born in the 40s. And yeah. so there's that. And it was, Does he have a Facebook page? And uh, he probably does. Um, the real Ted Bundy. At right. the real Ted Bundy. Yeah. Um, and... Uh when you try to get histories, you have to ask people for their memories, and they have reasons right, to, right. to, you know, if you're the mom, if you're Ted Bundy's mom, and you know you made a lot of mistakes, what good does it do to tell the press, oh, yeah, I'm to blame right. for Ted Bundy's problems, you know? Right. And if you're the neighbors, it might be the opposite, like, oh, I remember something dark about him or right, whatever. Because I want people to yeah. come to me and talk to me. So it's hard to know, but what we do know is there are some facts that are not disputed by anybody, which is his mom was, uh, she got pregnant when she was pretty young, and it was out of wedlock, and she actually, uh, and the... And that
1: was Ted, like that was the pregnancy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: and she actually went to one of those homes for the uh, pregnant unwed mothers, so it's an institution. So... There there was a number of reasons for this uh but mainly it was for shame. It was like oh, wow. you would go away for 6 months while you were showing. Oh. And then you would give the baby away or something and then you'd come back and you'd say you just went for a spa. Oh my gosh. Or something. Okay. This so happened this was to keep appearances. Right. This happened all the time. And so she went to one of those things and then she didn't want the child. You know, she was young and it was out of wedlock yeah. and she was just, I don't want I don't want this child. So she left Ted in the institution. Ooh, I didn't know this. And went home. How did I not know this? Did I they talk know. about it in no. the
1: documentary?
0: No. Uh, I read this in a peer-reviewed journal. So if, wow. if you have a problem with these details, uh, which, you know, it's possible there's a problem. I'm just telling you, I got this from a very That's
1: crazy. reliable source. I mean, that seems like such like important
0: information. Right. Because from the documentary, it's like...
1: Who knows where all
0: the mom comes across as kind of creepy? Sure. But that's all they kind of go into. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the mom leaves Ted alone. So, for the first three months of Ted's life, he's basically in a hospital being taken care of in a way in 1946 or whatever, whenever he was born, when they didn't care about uh, attachments and about, they just probably, you know, often they would just leave the child in the crib, you know? Oh, my gosh. And if you want to learn about how John Bowlby actually changed how hospitals operate, listen to my 17 hours of deep dive on this. But um, so there's also some evidence that the tyrannical um, uh, father uh, uh, of the grandfather raped his daughter. The mom. uh, The mom. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Uh, It might have even been her step... Father, I'm not quite sure, but, but the abusive grandfather. Oh, so, be, so there's some, because the story was, Ted's mom was like, so I got pregnant from a traveler, like a guy, a man who came into town and left town. Oh, okay. So it's like, it's like, well, oh, it's po- so it could have actually been, so it's possible, but it's, there's reports that it could have actually been her own father's child. Oh my gosh. Um, and
1: which means he might have even had like some mutations in his, right. in his DNA that made it even
0: perhaps. Uh, and there's also reports, so that's, that's a lot of speculation about yeah. that because there's, there's really no detail on that. But there were reports that his mother was cold and abusive, um, even though Ted always said she was perfect. But you got to figure if you have a tyrannical father as yeah. a woman and you are a young mother who didn't want your child to begin with right and um you would imagine that you're going to have some complications in the 40s when you don't That's even right. know how to parent like there's no there's no good guidance and this kind of stuff so so there's all that again and, and lo-
1: how, sorry go
0: ahead lots of speculation how old was ted bundy when he was caught 20, oh he would have been like the first time he was caught, I think like I, I mean, thirty-two, like you, 32? yeah, thirty-two, so, right around there.
1: And it's not like he had gone to years of therapy. No. So I, I'm 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 talking about this because you know when I started going to therapy, which was I think when I was 29 or, or 30. Uh, if if I was asked, which I was, like, uh, tell me about your family dynamics, tell me about all these things, my first thing would have been like pl- probably glowing words about everyone around me, right, and it's like, well, but your mom left you. I'm like, I know, but you know, she had to, but you know, I get along great with her or whatever. And what about your dad? It's like, well, you know, he's like, I would have just had excuses or really nice things to say in general. And it took me a long time to unpack that and be like, oh shit, a lot of weird, bad stuff happened to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I met you 12, 13 years ago, you kind of had a a version of that yep. narrative about your life. Yeah, I remember talking to you when I first met you, and you had this. You you, you seem to talk very more real about your childhood now than you yes. did 13 years. Oh
1: ago. yeah, because I, I think it was, uh, and, and my therapist pointed this out to me. I had a very third person way to narrate my life. You know, like uh, I remember when when we were talking about it in therapy, I would just talk about it like I was narrating someone else's story, <laughs> and it was like. It took a bit like, for unemotional. me. Unemotional. Uh, or, or even almost like funny, like only pointing out the funny parts, you know. And and I certainly, I don't think I was connecting in the present with how I felt about it. Yeah. You know, like the other, recently when we did a couple episodes and one of them I was talking about, you know, sexual abuse and things like this. Um, I, I I felt that connection. It, it's... It's a, it's a kind of like someone talking about like, this happened to me and here's how I felt about it. Here's how I feel now about it. As opposed to like, let me tell you a crazy story. Right. And so the, the let me tell you a crazy story. It's like, it minimizes how I feel. It, w- it would minimize how you feel about it. So I bet you that at least maybe towards the end, it was different, but at least towards those, when he turned 30 around that time, I bet you Ted Bundy, if, if he thought about anything or remembered anything from his childhood, it was probably through some weird rose-colored lens. Right. And it wasn't this
0: very self-aware thing. You right. Know. So eventually, I think the grandfather slash maybe father convinced the daughter, uh, his daughter, the Ted's mother, to actually retrieve Ted from the hospital. So she does. At least that's the report. So it wasn't like Ted's mom was like, let me get my son back. It was... Yeah suggested to her or whatever and the grandfather was actually one of the main caregivers of, oh. of ted and so because that sadistic dude right oh geez and so see
1: I, I like i feel like these are all very important pieces of information
0: right so ted wow one of ted's main attachment figures growing up was was this man this man and when ted was around for f- somewhere around there uh, the mom moved Ted away from uh, that town in yeah. that house that we, they lived in with the mom's father, and they moved to Tacoma, I believe. So when he was very little, he might have witnessed animal abuse on a regular basis, maybe. But at the very least, we see major attachment disruptions, sure. uh, being abandoned and left in an institution, and ne- probably neglected for the first few months. Then. Right. You are raised by a mother that probably is ambivalent about being a mother. You are also raised by what seems to be a sadistic psychopath himself. Then, but you're attached to him and that town and the other extended family. You and your mom move all the way across the country and there's no Skype or anything. So mm-hmm. you're just completely cut off forever, right. basically from, from And he would, Ted would talk about how he really, really missed his grandfather Interesting. So these are all, these are massive attachment injuries that will uh, create definitely the precursor to personality disorders. So the other, so this, so this led to what we're going to call, or what the theorists call disorganized attachment. So in the interview, I think you really get a clear picture of how he how what his emotional life was was like because that's one of the things you don't really get from other kinds of documentaries, yeah, you don't get an idea of like what was his subjective experience, yeah, you know it's all about the facts like oh, then he did this and then he did that you know it's all this surface stuff, but you know when you actually hear Ted talk about his inner life, what I hear is someone who has disorganized attachment, which is a very severe form of insecure attachment in which essentially you were faced with some very difficult attachment disruptions and injuries as a young person, and had no way to cope. Right. So disorganized means you have no organized way of coping. Because mm-hmm. some people will develop what we call preoccupied, which is you become very focused on your parents and very focused to to make sure that you're pleasing them, mm-hmm. or you go to avoidant, which is like I'm just going to avoid. People right. altogether. I can. De- I, I'm going de- to become very independent. Severe forms of that are narcissism, but when you are so mistreated, and maybe you have the biology as such, you actually never land on it, but on a consistent way to cope, and so there's there's really no solace mm. to the ongoing pain. Wow. And what we the evidence that I heard him and it was like bone chilling as he was talking. Cause I was like, my God, if he had a therapist at the time, like yeah. it just when he met uh, Stephanie Brooks, you know, it's not her real name, but the, a, a lot of the uh, documentaries and stuff will use her pseudonym. Cause they want to protect her yeah. anonymity, but she comes along like in it. He's in his early twenties or something mm-hmm. around that time. And, She, for for the first time in his life, he talks about how for the first time he felt loved. Right. And he, so how could your life be so great with your mom? Right. If for the first time in your 20s, you finally feel... Right. ...love, yeah. And he said that he felt normal for the first time. Like he felt, he felt actually like, because she came from a good family, he talks about that. So, right. So that's completely inconsistent. Right. Which... Makes a lot of sense when you kind of look at all the circumstantial right. evidence.
1: That's and that's an interesting thing because, for example, I, again, I'll, I'll use my my own experience because that's mostly what I know in my life. <laughs> um, even though I had uh, you know some somewhat difficult childhood and th- struggles and things like that, uh, certainly when I was say in my early twenties, I was you know when when I would date or would when I would have friends, like I could certainly recognize. Uh, things that were closer or farther from me emotionally because I had reference points in my family. You know, I had had family members that had treated me with a lot of love and shown me a lot of care and compassion and all these things. So if you don't have those things and all of a sudden you're 20 and you're noticing like, Oh, is this what normal human beings are supposed to be like? Man, I can't, I can't even imagine.
0: And intoxicating because you are getting for the first time a closeness and a love and a security. Yeah. Physically, emotionally, time-wise, eye contact, attention, admiration. Right. You are getting all of that in this humongous deluge Mm -hmm. for the first time in your life. And he talks about how it was really overwhelming to him. Yeah. Uh, And, but then after a while she breaks up with him. Right. And he talks about and this is the kicker, because it's not uncommon for people to be like, oh, I was so in love. Oh, but here's the kicker. We all know what it's like to get dumped and to feel horrible. Sure. Like, that's just, it's a normal feeling, a common feeling. Right. For him, though, he talks about, in the documentary, and this is this is the thing that, that I when I heard it, I was like, ding, 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 you know, huh. there it is. He talks about, he doesn't really remember that period of time. Wow. Now this is a smart guy, right? Right. You know, he, he, he was very articulate in these interviews. Yeah. he's very precise in his language and he could remember things very well. Yeah.
1: So he's not going to randomly have
0: lapses like that. And he's narcissistic. So he tends to remember things about himself pretty well. And he talks about how after getting dumped, he, what he felt, he said like everything fell apart for him. He didn't know. he, He felt empty. He didn't know what to do. He kind of doesn't remember that time. This is dissociation, yeah, uh, in the psychoanalytic sense, not in the DSM sense. And he's in such utter despair and pain because he had opened himself up, kind of for the first time since he was a young child. That it's very, very upsetting to him and very, very um, unnerving. So, and and (laughs) no way to cope and. because he doesn't trust other people based on his attachment, disorganized attachment, he doesn't reach out to anyone to talk to them. Right. He doesn't uh, you know, confide in his friends. He doesn't go to a therapist. Right. He doesn't call his mom. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything. He just sits there in this pain and despair without any trust in other human beings. Because that's another thing that disorganized attachment will look like when people are young, and there were uh, accounts of this, is that he was awkward and he didn't really. He was a loner. When you're disorganized attachment, you don't trust other people. So it, you're, at ten years old, you're sure. just you're just like, well, why would I go be a friend with someone? They're just going to hurt me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, that's not my conscious thought, but you know that's a guiding principle. Yeah. Uh, so I might as well just play by myself. Like it's better <laughs> safe than sorry. Also, I've I'm so I have such low self-esteem right beneath this grandiose narcissism that I believe I don't really have anything to offer. Right. So why would they like why me? Why would they even like me? Right. Yeah. So so he has this deep experience and he's completely alone. He's in utter despair. And his his very thin veil of narcissism is challenged, which mo- the more severely narcissistic you are, the, the thinner it is, by the way. Yeah. I mean, why else would you... Uh, pay tens of thousands of dollars for a painting uh, for your painting so that your painting could beat other paintings by other presidents. I don't
1: know why you'd have to resort to made up, ridiculous, fantastical examples that would never happen in real life. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh, so it's very interesting to me that like your uh, reaction to that moment in the documentary is so different to mine, obviously, because you were paying attention to all these little cues. In my mind. I dismissed that. I mean, I, I, I thought when I, when he's, when that's being talked about and how hurt he was by that, the, the, when that relationship fell through. I was actually thinking of it from the other side was like, Oh, of course. Cause he's so messed up as a person that he would aggrandize how bad that, you know, losing a relationship is. Whereas normal people wouldn't treat it so harshly, but I wasn't kind of putting the two and two together, which is how much of a trigger that would have been. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about it more of like, well, yeah, of course, because you're already a messed up person, so of course you would over-dramatize this thing. But really, the pain of that would be so overly
0: magnified. Right. So some people turn to alcohol and or they will turn to other sexual partners Yeah. or they'll turn to exercise or you know they'll, they'll turn to or therapy there there's a lot of different ways that people will take it but what he did which is what a lot of people do at least fantasy wise is he started fantasizing about killing her yeah or killing women yeah, yeah. you know and you know maybe this is why a lot of people are fascinated with 10 Buddy and other people like this is that take it from me as someone who hears people's deepest darkest secrets It is very common, particularly for men, but women too. I've talked to women Uh who were of disorganized attachment, having been abused and mistreated, Mm -hmm. who had pretty elaborate fantasies about not only killing people, but like dismembering them. I, I I had a very petite woman client once who talked about how she was driving in Seattle and this this guy walked in front of her that jaywalked or something Mm -hmm. and she had to kind of slow her car down and she talked about to me because she was concerned about this was she she said to me something like yeah so uh i probably should tell you this but i i had this really intense fantasy about hurting him oh oh my gosh (laughs) and and i was like i was like oh okay um I mean, and I knew her personality disorder and I knew her history and, you know, it kind of made sense. She had been through like a decade of sexual abuse by her, by her father. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why one, there's a lot of reasons why one would have very intense anger uh, towards other people, especially people who get, who get in her way. Oh yeah. So then I just kind of left it there and then she's like, well, I guess, you know, let me tell you the details. And then she she proceeded to tell me, detail by detail. Oh, no. It wasn't just like a, like a like an intellectual fantasy. It, it was a plan. It, it was I would get out of the car yeah. I would you know, I can't remember the details, but eventually it got to the level where she was like doing some kind of um, mountain versus the viper. Uh, oh, you know what i mean where up yep,
1: the eye gouging yeah
0: some there was some yeah. kind of and it wasn't it wasn't like just killing him outright it was right. like brutally torturing him mm. in the span of like 30 seconds but bef- and then killing him oh my gosh and and so this over, is over the jaywalk <laughs> right so now uh. we would go whoa that's aberrant no it's very common many many people upon being dumped by by their uh-huh. and being hurt by their spouse being divorced or being cheated on or you know it is very common for that to pop into your head oh, it, it, it is it I is see. it's it's human right. to 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 want to harm them you know or or maybe in a, to a lesser extent to be like well maybe i'll slash their tires sure yeah. or I'll burn their house down right or i don't know i'll steal their money or something yeah. it's it's very very common to do that but for most people it just remains a fantasy but for some people it becomes something that builds yeah. you know when you're suffering to that degree mm. and you feel powerless and then you start to have this fantasy about harming other people and you have a you have a personality disorder that's and maybe genetics that are prone to sadism pro, prone to psychopathy then it it starts to feel more and more entertaining to your soul to go down that road because you feel powerful, you have a mission now, you have a goal, right You no longer are and the other thing is is you can possess the the object that you want to possess it It's a symbolic possession you know right. you, you get to have sex with her, you get to possess her, no one else can have her mm-hmm. and she can't she can't leave you right. The only thing she will do is die, but she's she's not leaving you. You'll be proven right in the end. You'll get to have her. Yeah. And when, and I'm glad that you brought up how you saw that, that instance. And I hope I'm being convincing about yeah, this. Yeah, you this are. Of it. Society looks at people like this in the way that you're looking at it, which right. is the way I used to look at it, which is like, basically everything they do is evil. Right. And everything they, I mean, they wouldn't and say- And everything the, they do is completely out of the norm. Right. Nothing is relatable. Like, right. no, it, they couldn't possibly have normal attachment needs. Right. They couldn't possibly be doing this out of some extreme twisted desire to have a companion in life. Yeah. Uh, I believe Dahmer had a very good dose of this as well. Totally. And so um, so to me, all I see is a disorganized attachment person with the genetics for sadism and psychopathy um, and also developed psychopathy as, in all likelihood as well. And this extreme horrible situation that happened, and then, and then two other uh, factors. One is is he probably internalized the sexism of the time. The way he talks, he sounds like someone who was sexist in a way that was probably common for the time. But he obviously took it a little yeah, far. Yeah,
1: times times ten.
0: Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, when the way he talks, it sounds similar to. The red pill, MGTOW, incel, pickup artists, men's men's rights people. Of course, none of them are serial killers in today's world. Uh, Some of them happen to end up being killers. But, um, you know, this idea it's just like women are here to please men. Women don't have inner lives. Women are manipulative. They deserve what they get. I'm angry at them because they won't have sex with me. That that kind of general attitude he seemed to have. Yeah, totally. And the other, the other, Uh, Last factor I want to point out is that he clearly either had or developed sexual compulsion. You know, you talked about that earlier, about how he's totally free to even maybe even kill people in Florida. But if he does it slowly, he won't get caught. Right. But he does this massive spree one night. He obviously wanted to be free because he escaped. He went all the way across the country and he did this really really and he would talk about this in the documentary about how he had developed this this itch that needed to be yeah. scratched and compulsions like this tend to be progressive you know you you drink two beers one week then it's five then it's yeah. then it's six beers a night then you know it just tends to get worse and worse and worse and you can clearly see that you know there's a sort of you could tell like his itch was stronger and the the events needed to be bigger and bigger yep, and bigger yep. as his time went on so i think that he probably had some kind of neurological condition that lent itself towards compulsion and i so when i think you add up all that genetics d- disorganized attachment which is a very large concept in and of itself internalized sexism and then a develops sexual sadism compulsion you have the Recipe for what we got. What wow. do you think, Bruno?
1: Yeah, you know, I can relate to something you were saying that I have had, you know, in my life at different times, uh, very elaborate fantasies about what I would do in a revenge against a criminal. Yeah, you know, things like, like anywhere Dexter from stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, like anywhere from if what would you do to Elizabeth Holmes for committing fraud?
1: Oh well, she's a. She's a, uh, you know, I think what I would do to her is I would misdiagnose her. <laughs> I would I would say that she has, um, I would probably misdiagnose her with being allergic to honey. And then I would tell her that she's deathly allergic to honey. And then every night at dinner, she would be eating. And I'm like, oh, there's some honey in there. <laughs> and it would be like, you know,
0: not really anything bad would happen. Uh, but she I thought you eating. would say something like, I would figure out a way to defraud millions of dollars out of her by trying to sell a fraudulent, you know. I um, don't think anyone th- can pull a fast one on her.
1: <laughs> but um, you know, no. But seriously, I would. I would think of things like, you know, I wish I were uh, a superhero. You know, like that's I'm sure a common thing, and I could just go and take single handedly take out the the mafia in Colombia. You know, yeah. and. Uh, but then I would have ones where it was – I remember actually in high school when I was reading some of these books or or when Dahmer, all these kinds of things, incorrectly assuming that people like that could be sort of scared out of what they wanted to do. I had these fantasies where I would just like trap them and put them in a basement. So kind of – you know what? Like Saw, like the movie Saw. Yeah. Like that kind of thing where I would have these elaborate torture things. Would eventually they would see the error in their ways, kind of thing. <laughs> so I can kind of I can kind of relate to this idea of having very elaborate torture fantasies or things like that, uh, where you want to get back at someone or at a group of people. Uh, but but then when you add this like when you add this kind of extra dimension of it's not anyone it's someone in particular and. I'm actually going to go out on the streets and actually try to reenact my fantasy. That's where it gets really dark.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it becomes sort of a need, right? Yeah. In order to incur the consequences that you know are possible to happen, you have to really need to do this sort of thing. There must be no other way to get your needs met other than by doing this.
1: Well, like, we recently found out Liam Neeson had one of these kinds of fantasies, right? Right. Right. That's a good example. You would want to go out and literally murder with a blunt instrument a presumably
0: innocent person. Right. Right. But that's an example of someone who had a fantasy and decided ultimately in the end not to do anything. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so let's... Let's look at the hair conceptualization of psychopath. This is the hair conceptualization. The The diagnosis of psychopathy is uh, varied depending on who you're talking to, but let's look at the hair conceptualization since it's the uh, dominant one. Uh, number one, Berto, pathological lying. Absolutely. Uh, number two, glib and superficial charm. Yes. Three, ga- grandiose sense of self.
1: Absolutely.
0: Number four was this designed? Was this like, hey, let's just describe Ted Bundy? So, <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up. I was eventually going to say this, and I'm glad it occurred to you right away. Yeah, that you know we're often looking at people like Elizabeth Holmes or um, the guy, the the, the fire festival right. guy. And we're like, oh, they're a psychopath. And then right. we actually look at the hair conceptualization, the twenty items. Right. And we're like,
1: well Yeah, we could we, we couldn't find all a lot of them. We're like, yeah we don't have evidence for that. Yeah. We're yeah. like,
0: uh eh, maybe ten out of twenty, yeah. you know, kind of. And so to people out there, I want you to take note of this. Yeah. Because the the hair conceptualization of psychopathy was designed for people like Ted Bundy. Right. And the there are there are a number of people like Ted Bundy who never actually go on killing sprees, but a lot of them are in prison. Yeah. Like Ted Bundy ended up in prison. And when we're saying the word psychopath, we need to understand that in the clinical sense, we're talking about Ted Bundy's. We're not really talking about Elizabeth Holmes and the Fire Festival guy. They're maybe on the spectrum, but they're not at, they're not, they're definitely not at the end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So- so, yeah, psychopathical, uh, pathological lying, my God. Uh, glib and superficial charm, uh, my God. <laughs> uh, grandiose sense of self, whoa. Way so, off the charts. <laughs> So when you watch the documentary uh, of Ted Bundy, or maybe any documentary, you quickly realize, especially when he ends up, you know, defending himself in court, <laughs> right. that he thinks that he is a god. Yeah. He thinks he's going to get off. Yeah. And he doesn't really know how to defend himself. Like, right. it's would have been more likely if he kept his lawyers that they would have actually been able to help him somehow. Yeah. But anyway... When he
1: fires his lawyers, yeah. he insults them, He he believes that essentially not only is he able to argue against anything and
0: anyone, but that the world will see that truth. Right. So that is narcissism in that he's shooting himself in the foot, he doesn't he doesn't just have an overblown sense of self. Like he has a pathologically delusional overblown sense of self. Um, So actually another, a smaller piece of evidence for the disorganized attachment, I actually saw when he fired his lawyer. Mm. So imagine that you're in prison, you're terrified and you have this nice lawyer guy come to you and and talk to you and you, you start to have some transference with him. And at first you're like, oh, thanks, you know, and, and the lawyers were legitimately trying to defend him. Yeah. And then because you're disorganized attachment, something something triggers you, and you turn on that person, and you just get rid of them. Yep. You know. So I saw and speak really badly about them. Right, and be completely self sabotaging in the process. Yeah. So that was another example of disorganized attachment. Okay, number four, need for stimulation.
1: Right. Well, I mean, um, I, I know that we've talked about in the past that it's like, you know, that they like driving fast cars or skiing down steep slopes and things like that. Um, I don't know. But he said that he had a lot of pornography, that he was fairly obsessed with pornography. And he had a compulsion to go out and kill. So, you know, he, he certainly needed some form of stimulation. But that's about as much as I can.
0: Yeah. I guess in that direction, I would say that before he actually killed anybody, he would like sneak around at night and for thrills and yeah. look in people's windows and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't, he's not a classic need for stimulation. Uh, number five, cunning and manipulative.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, totally. So much. Number six, callous and lack of empathy.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. Completely. Yeah. Like,
0: number completely. S- Number seven, lack of remorse or guilt. Absolutely. Like 100%. Yeah. Eight, failure to accept responsibility.
1: <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah. Equals Ted
0: Bunny. Equals yeah. Ted Bunny. <laughs> Nine, shallow emotional response.
1: Right. Because uh, the only times, like, there's very few times in those interviews where you can almost hear like an actual feeling come through. Right. The rest of the time, he's either narrating experiences. And, you know, the the dude, the interviewer pulled that trick on him, which was like, yeah. why would you just tell me about some other, you know.
0: Uh, tell me about a guy who would have done would this. would have done this. Like if right? you were looking. At, so, but right. that was brilliant because it tied into his narcissism. Right. So, if you haven't seen the documentary, there's this guy who's interviewing Ted Bundy over many hours. And he can't get Ted to talk about the murders. He, he can only get Ted to talk about sort of known things. Yeah. And he's like, I need Ted to talk about the murders. And so he comes up with this idea as he's really frustrated. And he he goes to Ted. He's like, so I know you're into psychology. You studied psychology. If you were to look at the case file of Ted Bundy, what would you see? Well, This was brilliant because it externalized it for Ted Bundy enough so that he could actually talk about it. And, of course, he wants to talk about it because he's narcissistic.
1: And it gave him plausible deniability, at least in his mind it did.
0: (laughs) And it did because it was a hypothetical. And in the same way, like, if I did it, right? Yeah, right. Um, The OJ book. And the other thing it tied into was – Ted Bundy's narcissism, that he considered himself to be a very smart psychologist kind of person. Right. (laughs) Uh, Number 10, parasitic lifestyle. Parasitic, yeah. I mean, he had
1: had started to uh, depend on a few people, but that one is a little less clear.
0: Right. He's not classic. The parasitic lifestyle is the person who never gets a job, they sleep on your couch, they... They borrow money from you, never pay you back. That's
1: yeah. I was thinking more about when when he actually started getting on the run. It, fe- it feels like he was trying to use a couple relationships to his advantage, but not in the classical sense that you. He-
0: right. Number eleven: poor behavioral controls. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, number twelve: irresponsibility.
1: Uh. Well. Yeah. I mean. Well. It sounds like he had periods of his life where he was seemingly somewhat responsible. He went to school. He... Right.
0: He wasn't generally irresponsible. The fact that he could sustain studies and, yeah. and go to class and, you know, read right. the books and write the papers and take the tests means that he, yeah. he didn't really have this one. Um, 13, impulsivity.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. 14, many short-term marital relationships or romantic relationships. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Hard to know. I, I think he was so disorganized that yeah. he didn't even. He only maybe had one relationship, you know. Right. And well, and then he had the relationship with the woman in prison, by the way. Who, yeah, right. Get, he got pregnant.
1: Man, that's a whole other. Yeah.
0: Incredible. We should do the psychology of the psychology women of women who fall in love yeah. with serial killers. Because, like, right? Uh, what's his face? Manson also. Manson. Same. Yep. Uh, fifteen sexual promiscuity.
1: I mean, I think he would have
0: yeah, sixteen early behavioral problems, it sounds like he did, and he had some abuse of animals things and whatnot, seventeen lack of realistic long term goals,
1: <laughs> well, after some point in his life, yes, because I don't know how he thought he was going to come out of this tunnel,
0: yeah eight I mean he wouldn't he didn't want to he didn't have that one a lot, but definitely the the essence of that one he had.
1: I I guess I look at it like if you did have long-term realistic goals, what is your exit strategy here?
0: Right. (laughs) 18, juvenile delinquency. I don't know. I don't think he did. 19, revocation of conditional release.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how about escape from prison?
0: (laughs) 20, criminal versatility.
1: Uh, Right. We've talked about this before. And sort of, I mean, he could steal cars, he could um, escape from prison, he could fake uh, all sorts of things. I mean, I think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't fit the classic because you could say that a lot of the ancillary crimes were all in service of his sadistic, psychopathic killing.
1: Right. He wasn't like also running uh, a mob operation on the side.
0: Right. But he definitely did commit a wide variety of crimes. Right. You know, so.
1: Like, I guess if that had been his motivation, he would have and could have.
0: Right. But again, when we look at the, at the key criteria, lying, superficial charm, grandiosity, cunning and manipulative, callous lack of empathy, lack of remorse and guilt, failure to accept responsibility, shallow emotions. Yeah. Poor behavioral controls. Uh, those are the key ones, and he's hitting them out of the park. <laughs> out of the park. So, it, unless you're close, in, you know, you don't have to be full Ted Bundy right. to qualify for psychopathy, but you have to be close. Yeah. So if someone is like Elizabeth Holmes, right, is far from that mark, right then you have to consider that when you're throwing around terms like psychopath. That's
1: totally fair. That's totally fair. And and actually, it's good that we did this exercise because even Ted Bundy doesn't qualify 100% for everything. Right. But actually, some people
0: do is the thing. Right,
1: so. right. I guess I'm saying – I'm not saying Ted Bundy is the penultimate psychopath. I'm just saying even someone as extremist as Ted Bundy doesn't. And yet, clearly, if I we're meant, grading – you meant
0: ultimate, by the way.
1: I uh, know I meant penultimate because their Dahmer might have been the ultimate, you know. Yeah. But even if we were grading Good them save. one to ten, one to ten on all these categories, there's no way you would put Elizabeth Holm. I can't believe we were even doing this comparison. What about the fire guy? Uh, you know, if you said, what's his lack of empathy compared to like a Ted Bundy's lack of empathy? It's like, you'd still have to grade the Ted Bundy one higher. right? Because he's like, the one guy is like, you know, defrauding people is really horrible. So the other guy's murdering daughters and wives and stuff and never apologize. It's like crazy.
0: Right. So now to have lack of empathy, you don't have to murder, but I hope you get the point here. Yeah. And uh, so internet people who like to diagnose, consider that for yourself. Also consider that, you probably don't know what you're doing and so always know that you don't know what you're doing. I lot- mean,
1: internet people that are like to diagnose are generally psychopaths.
0: <laughs> yeah. So just some final notes about the documentary. Uh, I thought it was interesting to actually hear his words. I thought that the footage was great. I thought that it's a very good depiction of how inept the police were back then. Jesus. I mean, there's one police guy who was laughing about He was, like, responsible for some of this stuff. You could say he is somewhat liable for the murders that happened after Ted Bundy escaped to Florida. And he's just, like, chuckling. He's like, oh, (laughs) what are you going to do? What are you
1: going to do? You can't watch them at all times.
0: (laughs) One of the things that bothered me about the documentary was the music was distracting and loud at times. Did Mm. Did you notice that? I I I
1: know what you're talking about. I don't know. It didn't bother me as much, but I, I do see what you're saying.
0: There were times when I couldn't hear what people were saying because mm, the cause music, the, the was, balance was off. Was so loud. Were
1: you listening to it on headphones? No, I was, and maybe that's a difference. Yeah. Interesting. Uh,
0: the trial, depicting the whole trial process. Yeah, the court process was really interesting because I just I didn't have any. I, I didn't know how in how sort of meandering that whole thing was, how it took like years just to have a trial to begin with. right? And then he was on death row with a stay of execution <laughs> for like nine years after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to learn that he died in 1989. Yep. Cause wasn't he finally caught in 78? Yeah. Right. It
1: was a long
0: time. So imagine that 78 you're caught and 11 years later, Yep. You're finally put to death, even though everyone was like, yeah, it was him, you know. It's also interesting because, um, like I was saying, as I was
1: listening to the documentary, I kept thinking, man, I thought I knew a lot of stuff. But, you know, when I read the books, which granted, now that I think about it, were very fresh off the press because if he died in 89, the books I was reading were like in 92. So, that's only like a few years after, right? Yeah, wow. But those books were in—I was reading that in high school, so I, I'm surprised I remember anything. <laughs> yeah.
0: I also thought it was interesting to see the footage of all the drunk people outside the prison waiting for him to get killed. Do you right. Yeah. So there was a big party outside. Yeah, they—they they were waiting for their pint of blood, and everyone was getting drunk, and they had—they were, yeah. were selling T-shirts, and I just find that to be, again. When I went to the Louvre, I was not fascinated with the Mona Lisa. I was fascinated with the the throng of pushy people trying to see the Mona trying Lisa. Trying to not see it but take a picture of it or oh, get, okay. get a selfie with it or okay. you know, it was it, it's just so interesting to see society, I guess, <laughs> yeah. do its thing. Right. And to see like a bunch of dude bros in Florida hanging around a prison and like looking at the camera and going like, f- you know, fry baby fry or right, something right, right. and selling t-shirts with Ted Bundy's face on it and, and him hanging from a noose or something. Or it was like, oh man, it, which, it, which, you know, I don't know what to think about it. I'm just saying that's interesting.
1: Well, it sort of emphasizes how tragic it all is and how yeah. sort of meaningless it all is because the murders were long and gone, never to be undone. Right. never to be undone. The torture, or the killing of the individual, um, in my mind, you know, when I was young, I definitely was like, kill them, torture them, blah, blah. But you know, nowadays I'm like, oh man, I, first of all, I just wish it was a quicker, less expensive process. And I do think some people need to be removed from society. It's too much of a risk. But I just don't think we should celebrate any of it. There's yeah.
0: nothing to celebrate. It's all a tragedy. Interesting. So, the last thing, did you know what his last meal was? I forget. <laughs> it, it was steak and eggs.
1: Steak and eggs, okay.
0: What would be your last meal?
1: My last meal, oh my gosh, it would be coconut rice with raisins. Uh, it's this version that my grandma makes that's got like, it's br- the
0: rice is browned. And well, it's... so, remember, you're in a prison, so you'd have to rely on a physical cook. So, so. In my hypothesis, you know, because you could say I want my grandma, yeah, but she's not around. She's
1: around. She's right outside waiting for the. You don't think she's going to be around for her grandson's execution? Well, I think uh, uh,
0: another interesting question I have for you <laughs> is: say you're in prison in Seattle, uh-huh. and you either have to rely on the cook at the prison. Oh God! Or you, you know, because you can get takeout. You know? Yeah, you can get people. Oh, you get, can. People get McDonald's sometimes in prison. For your last meal. Oh, for your last meal. Okay,
1: okay, 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 okay.
0: So something in Seattle. Okay, okay, okay. So takeout. What? All right. If I can only rely on
1: takeout and no grandma meals, I suppose I would want it to be uh, from saggio. Italian ah. meal from Asado. Or well, what? Oh, it would definitely be like Alfredo. No, 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 no. It would be the linguini. It would be a linguini with probably some fish. Some fish linguine, you know, or clams linguine, something like In a rich like that. sauce. In rich, a rich sauce. Rich white sauce? Yeah, and bread with a garlic dip, with a garlic oil dip.
0: Okay. And a, a bottle of Chianti. <laughs> For me, it would probably be pork nachos from the Matador. <laughs> It's a it's a fan. It's sort of a pork nacho. It's sort of a douchebag Mexican restaurant in Seattle. I don't know if it's all over. The, actually, I think it might be. No, all there, over. it's more than just yeah. There's one in Tacoma. There's yeah yeah. So, but their pork nachos are divine. Um, there's a lot of good pork nachos in Seattle. So they're not just good. They're great. Yeah, I just love nachos. Uh, I love nachos so much. One of my students got me nacho socks. <laughs> um But I was also thinking other things because I really like to think about this. I thought a uh, an assortment of pollacchi pizza slices. Oh, nice. I actually had that yesterday. Um, another one is there's a burger place in Ballard called Giddy Up, and I I don't know, I just really like their burger and their tater tots. Mm. Also, there's a there's a English place style downtown called Cask and Trotter. And they have a pork slider that's really, really good. Ooh. Well, how many dishes would you order? All these. How, how, is there a limit? There must be a limit. But maybe the most appropriate is, you know, in Issaquah, even when Ted Bundy was killing people, uh-huh. there what, there's a very old drive-up diner called Triple X.
1: Oh, yeah, I know Triple X.
0: It's actually XXX, but yeah. people call it Triple X. And
1: they have that gigantic burger.
0: Yeah. And it was the kind of pull-up where you drive up and there were people on roller skates and right. we would go there when i was young because it was one of the only places to eat yeah, yeah at a restaurant and it's still there and it it's under complete new ownership yeah that has a completely different set of menu items by the way okay <laughs> but their current menu everything's gigantic
1: oh so it wasn't like that back in the
0: day. no back in the day it was more like burger master okay you know or like dick's or something yeah uh, which is I guess to people outside of the area it'd be like McDonald's, I guess. You yeah, know, just yeah. like or in and out, I suppose. But they have a thing called a chili a chicken chili a chicken cheese Philly. Chicken cheese Philly. It's it it's a Philly sandwich. Uh huh. But it is with chicken. It is huge. Like it's probably like eighteen inches long and yes. probably six inches wide.
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah. I mean I'm exaggerating, but it's it's pretty good.
1: Wow, so you would order that? That might be your yeah. So we need to we need to go get started committing some really bad felonies or something. What do we have to do? Like, I don't want to kill anyone, but what could we do that could land us in death row? Is there any anything like? Is there any fraud? No, nothing could really land us in death row. I think
0: you have to kill people. Oh man, that sucks. That's a good question. Has anyone has anyone landed on death row? That wasn't a who didn't treason. You know, I don't think. No? Oh you could
1: get hanged or something.
0: Oh right. I but wonder. They probably
1: haven't done that since the eighteen hundreds.
0: But it's probably still in the
1: books. So we could do that. Or we could fake a murder and like fake evidence and all this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and then go to death row. Yeah. And then say Surprise <laughs> Surprise <laughs> And by then it's too late. <laughs> so did you know there's a Zach Efron movie coming out about Ted Bundy?
1: Yes, yes. And at first I was very skeptical, then I saw a picture
0: of it or a preview. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. That could be so I think so. At, at first, I was like, "Ooh, that's that sounds interesting." Yeah. But then I'm like, "Well, what's the plot? It's just going to be serial killer porn." Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: It's. No, I, I did hear this criticism. People saying, "Oh, he glorifies it. It makes it uh, Ted Bundy into this cool person." Blah 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 blah.
0: Like especially a dramatic movie with Zach, with, with Zach Efron. But good, they've
1: made a movie about the Zodiac killer. They've made a movie about, but drama. the Zodiac killer
0: is the Zodiac killer is about the police officers. Yeah. Like it, if you like, when I watched that movie the first time, I don't even think I necessarily knew it was about a real story because you have Robert sure. Downey Jr. You have, um, rough, the Hulk. What's his name? Yeah. Yeah. Ruffalo. Ruffalo. Um, and others, and it's this really well acted, sure. well directed, Fitcher, right um, yeah. a movie. But a movie that is just about Ted Bundy, like the movie about Jeffrey Dahmer's high school life. Yeah, there's no killing in that, and it's a it's about this friendship between Dahmer and this other guy. I I wonder what this movie is going to be about that won't just be like straight-up recreation mm-hmm. of the horrific actions... That's a good point. ...that he did. Like, where's the drama? Unless you have like... Maybe it... I don't know. I'm just trying well, but to... But if th- people don't know the story, you know... But
1: maybe they'll make it about some police officers or something. And they've made movies about Pablo
0: Escobar. They've made movies about a lot of bad But again, people. the... Narcos, the one I know of, the TV show, yeah, it's about Pablo Escobar, but it's also about the poverty in Bogota. It's also about the low-level drug dealers, and and it's also right. about the the DEA agents. It's also about the politics. It's you know, it's about a lot of things. I'm just trying to figure out what else you would include. Well, maybe they could
1: make it about the how the cop work back then was not, you know, like the movie, the show Mind Hunters, right? Like,
0: right. So you're
1: right. I mean, I, I hear who, what you're saying. Who's
0: the, who would be this, the, the linchpin of the, of the uh, you know, law enforcement because they were all so inept yeah. that they were only a part of that situation for a very short amount of time? Yeah. I mean, I guess if the biopic didn't do his whole life, maybe, maybe if you just did it about um, when he was captured in Colorado— and then he right. and he and he escapes. Maybe that's the end of the movie. Like he like I could see that being worthy of making a movie and spending millions of dollars on it.
1: You know, I mean, you know, there's many people that would hold that George Bush is at least indirectly responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths They made movies about him.
0: But it's not like. And Dick Cheney. But it's not like, haha! Watch George Bush kill people. Well, we don't
1: know what this movie's gonna be,
0: right? So I, I guess I'm yeah. condemning something out of. But know but, but
1: I've heard the criticism, and I hear it. And maybe now that we're in a post, like a world more enlightened these days, maybe we don't want to sit there and like have an antihero that was actually a real life murderer of thirty
0: women. And right, I just got chills. Yeah. Uh, being terrified that this movie will be shot and directed and acted in a way where you end up walking out of the movie theater going like, yeah, you know, he got away with it or something, you know, like, uh, I, I mean, I, I doubt that would happen. Maybe they
1: can make him look as ridiculous as he looked in the courtroom.
0: Yeah. Who knows? Well, again, if we made any mistakes, I don't care.
1: I'm sure we were flawless.
0: Yeah. Flawless victory. Just just don't really care. Um, so uh, let us know what you think. Uh, what, why do you think he did this? Email us at, at com or go to the website and fill out the Contact Us page. I'm starting to get so many messages now, and I love it, but I can't keep up with all the different platforms. So you're going to have to either email me at contact at com. That's directly to me or fill out the contact us uh, uh, form on the website, which also which goes, sends it to the same place, which also goes directly to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, sending me a direct, you know, cause someone uh, direct messaged me on Facebook on, on some random Facebook page that I don't even look, look at anymore. And then I got a notification today and it said something like, um, and all I saw was like, I get, I'll take that as a No. That's that's all I saw. And I was like, huh? And then I I was like, oh, wait, what's happening? And I somehow, you know, it's like I sort of imagine it like I'm going into the closet and I'm looking for the box that says random Facebook page. And then I'm opening that up. And then I'm looking inside that box for the smaller box that has like the messages that you sent. Right. So I finally get to that page and (laughs) there's like a number of messages from someone and then you know some time goes by and they're just like well i guess that means no and it's like i didn't even see the message right, so right. i'm telling people stop direct messaging even patreon don't 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 comment uh, if you want me to see it right make just email me anyway and people can contact how would you like people to contact you primarily on twitter
1: oh that's a good question well, first of all, you can certainly follow me at Psych, Psychoberto, but it's Psych at, at on the Twitter platform. I also have a YouTube channel called Psychoberto. And confusingly enough, that one has no zero. It's just Psychoberto. I do it so no one can find me. <laughs> uh, but no, the truth is I wanted Psychoberto without the zero, but some other person had already taken it on Twitter. So I had to adjust.
0: And I didn't even come up with a name. April came up with the name. Listener April? Yeah. From Canada? Yeah. The person who loves Jar Jar Binks? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.